there are the seven festivals, uh, Jewish festivals, Hebrew festivals, Israelite festivals, that are presented in uh, Leviticus 23. Probably not surprised there's seven of them. That's kind of an important number in the Bible. There's, there's four spring festivals and three fall festivals. Uh, you probably know, I'm not going to go back all the way through the list again. We've, we've, we've looked at Passover. Most people know that. Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits. Um, Pentecost and Feast of Trumpets. That's what we've done in the last two weeks. We're going to close up this chapter today with Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur or Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. Um, they're all presented in Leviticus, which is an easy place to study them. All of these are in the background of the New Testament. Um, yeah, if you haven't been here the last two weeks, you'll, you'll catch on. Because what we do, this is the presentation, the introduction of these festivals, how they sort of prophesy and show us the life of Messiah. That's the right-hand column, the life of Messiah. Uh, but then from this point on until May the 18th, we're looking at text from the New Testament that, um, that behind the text are the celebrations of the Jewish festivals that most Gentile Christians never notice. But anyway, so we are looking at the last two today that are listed in Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 lists the seven festivals, but it starts out listing the Sabbath because the weekly Sabbath is uh, really what the life of the Jew is built around. And then it begins talking about Passover, Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Weeks, that's Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, um, that's Rosh Hashanah. Um, we've done, gone through that, so we're today at Day of Atonement, which is at verse 26 of chapter 23. We're going to look at Day of Atonement and Feast of Booths, which is Sukkot. We just lived through Sukkot with the Jewish community recently. So with that being said, with your Bible in front of you, um, and it's not hard to make the connections between the, between the Day of Atonement and Jesus on lots of levels. Uh, the Day of Atonement, is, which is called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement uh, runs from Rosh Hashanah, through the Day of Atonement, those are, they, they just finished them a while back. It's called the Days of All, because those are the holiest days in Christendom. I mean, not Christendom, Judaism. They're important to Christendom. They're the holiest days of Judaism. You notice that um, the Day of Atonement is the holiest day, which makes sense. It occurs during the holiest season, the Days of All in the Jewish tradition. Uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. This, you know, why did somebody have to die to redeem us? Why did blood have to be shed to redeem us? Um, because of this. This is Jewish background. Uh, so Day of Atonement is important. And this is probably one of the better known among Christians Jewish festivals compared to something like um, Feast of Trumpets or either what we end up with, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. So here's the text, verse 26. And the Lord, let, me, well, let me back up a little bit more. Atonement. I know if you go Google atonement, which is such an important word for the Christian community, if you Google the word atonement, um, now there's some movie, famous book that pops up for about the first 25 um, sites, which is, it is entitled Atonement. I, I wasn't going to watch it. I don't know if it has anything to do with anything I know about. So it was a popular movie, Atonement. But, but atonement in the Christian Jewish world, really it's easy to define because you can do it from the word at one month. Uh, what Jesus did was to make possible for us becoming at one again with God. At one month, atonement. Uh, atonement has been the big issue for Judaism and Christians. We are separated from God. 
um, because all that Adam and Eve fall sin stuff. We're separated from God. How do we return? How do we achieve atonement? Uh, that's a big issue in Judaism and Christianity. That's the point of Jesus, by the way. Uh, makes relationship with God possible again. So uh, a lot of the Day of Atonement stuff will sound familiar to you. Look at verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this month, Tishri is the month, by the way, the Jewish month, on the tenth day of the, this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Now again, it's, it, you probably know it's Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur. Uh, uh, being on this day in the month of Tishri, uh, means on our calendar usually occurs the latter part of September. Could get get up into or could get up into October, but you have to have seven days for the uh, feast of booths. That's why these whole this whole all these fall festivals occur uh, between late September, earlyish October. That's why we just finished them with the Jewish community. So the Day of Atonement, the holiest days for Judaism, the holiest day for Judaism, Yom Kippur, occurs on this day. For us, latter September, early October. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation. You shall afflict yourselves. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, any other English translations for what the Hebrew says there? Mine just says ESV. just says you shall afflict yourselves. Uh, deny yourselves. Okay. That's probably a term you remember from Jesus. Um, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after me. Uh, yeah, it means self-denial. It actually, and the Hebrew and the whole Jewish world knows this because this is what they do. It means self-denial and fasting. This is the only day in Judaism. We Christians historically, uh, particularly if you're in the Roman Catholic world, we they do we do lots of fast days. But in Judaism, there's really only one day you're called to fast, and it's Yom Kippur. And that's how they interpret afflict yourself or deny yourself. Uh, you fast all day. Um, because part of the season of Yom Kippur is, um, and, and you kind of start see, seeing how Christianity responds to this, uh, but this is the background of what we know in Christianity. Yom Kippur is the day you try to make, make, get right with God. It's a day of a judgment. Uh, you, you greet each other on the day of atonement um, with um, a Hebrew sentence that says, may you be written and sealed in the book of life, which the New Testament talks about. But on the Day of Atonement is where you, you kind of make sure you're in the book of life. Through repentance, fasting, returning to God. Um, later, later in the afternoon, because again, Jewish days begin at sundown, go to sundown. Later in the day, um, as, as Yom Kippur is coming to a close, if you're in an Orthodox or conservative uh, synagogue, okay, I need two hands to open my water. My whole week has been like this, by the way. Um, anyway, it's because I'm getting ready to go out of the country. But um, um, they fast on the day of Yom Kippur. By, by the end of the day, if you're in a conservative, traditional, ascetic synagogue, part of the service is you will, you will prostrate yourself. That's part of your repentance. That's part of your confession. That's part of returning to God. That's part of saying you're sorry. A big part of the Jewish tradition, and it's in the Christian tradition. When Yom Kippur, you say, you say to God, you're sorry, but you have to say to the other people, too. You have to get right with those people you've harmed, uh, but you try to make atonement both with God and your neighbor on Yom Kippur. Um, James chapter, chapter 5 in the New Testament um, 
tells you the same thing. You need to confess your sins one to another. But you need to get right. So that's Yom Kippur. It's a very solemn day. In just a minute, we'll be talking about the end of, of Sukkot, which is the most joyful day. And so they come pretty closely together. But this is the most solemn day. The service is Yom Kippur. In, in the Jewish world, this is that day, kind of like Easter and Christmas for us. This is that day, if you're remotely Jew, Jewish, you go to synagogue. Um, most synagogues in most places, even in North Carolina, uh, if you're in Greensboro or, or uh, Charlotte or Raleigh, you have to give tickets out to your people. And you have to have multiple services on Yom Kippur. Um, if not, they all show up at one time and you don't have enough seats. So that's how they kind of, um, that's how they distribute the people throughout the day. You have to get your ticket uh, to, to your assigned time to go to synagogue. Because um, this is for a Jew is when everybody goes to synagogue, like Christmas and Easter. You know, I, I'm so grateful for the people that I see on Christmas and Easter only. I'd love to see them a little more often than that. Uh, I'm grateful for seeing those people, and I do. Some I see on Christmas and Easter. But that's the Christian thing. You know where that came from, by the way? Part of the definition of being a practicing Catholic is Mass at least two times a year. And that just happens to be the two most popular days. That creates, that historically, that's created our C and E crowd. And I'm grateful for them. You'll never hear me complain about them. I'm glad they're there. I feel a little pressure of having my two shots at them over the course of the year. Um, but I'm grateful for those Christmas and Easter crowd. Well, for Judaism, it's Yom Kippur. They all go. It's very solemn. They're fasting. By the, by the time you're at their final part of the, their services for the day, your energy's flagging, confession, repentance. Uh, it goes back to, and you can get this, just a few pages before Leviticus 23, you have Leviticus 16. In Leviticus 16, there's a lot about the Day of um, Atonement in the Old Testament. Leviticus 16 is about a whole chapter on the Day of Atonement, so you'll, you'll find it there. But um, on the Day of Atonement, in, in biblical temple Judaism, I've been describing what goes on today in synagogues, but there's no temple today. Back when the temple existed, such as the time of Jesus, uh, before it was destroyed in 70 AD, uh, that was the one and only day that the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and put blood, all this should start ringing bells to you, and put blood on the, on the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the first temple. There's, it was carried away by the Babylonians. So uh, unless you're Harrison Ford, you don't know where it's at. We don't know where it's at. Um, but, um, so by Jesus' time, the Ark of the Covenant is gone, but you still, you had the second temple rebuilt. You go into the altar, uh, if you're the high priest. You go one day a year into the altar, do blood sacrifice on the altar. That's the one day of the year that the high priest can say the name of God. Um, nobody can say it ever. The high priest can say it, gets to say it one day a year. That is sacred. You know, we know the name of God. We try not to print it. Uh, two Bible translations. No, that one change. One Bible translation I know of is Yahweh or Yahweh. Or as the old German said, Jehovah which is probably a bad translation. But Yahweh, that's the name of God, like my name's Jeff. Um, that's the sacred name of God that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. Yahweh is kind of a, almost just a breath. I am that I am. Uh, revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Um, nobody could say it because it was so sacred. If, if there had been a, a conservative, very conservative Jew in the room a few moments ago, they would have covered their ears and ran out when I said Yahweh. Because uh, they won't pronounce it. That's why, and our Bibles does this. You ever notice how in the Old Testament you got Lord 
all capital letters sometime. It's because when it's all capital letters, what's really there is Yahweh. But nobody can pronounce it because we do what the Jews do. That's why Lord can be spelled all caps, all caps. You, you can visualize L-O-R-D, all caps. That's what we put in there when it's the name of God, Yahweh. Um, but uh, the, the word Adonai is just the word for Lord. So in the Jewish community, uh, you really don't say the name of God. You, if you see it even in the sacred text, you don't say it. You say Adonai, you just say Lord. So that's why the English translations will, will let you know which it is. And that's why the one English translation, the Jerusalem Bible, that actually says Yahweh is very disrespectful to the Jewish community, which we've never done. Um, and the, the message, Eugene Peterson, some of you may know, that, I love the message. When he did his first prints of the message, you know, he did New Testament, then Psalms, and then Proverbs, he said Yahweh for a while, but he went back and changed it because it's so, so offensive. So when in the Hebrew Bible, when it says Yahweh, um, the name of God, the sacred name of God, sacred tetragrammaton, because in Hebrew, you know, Hebrew has no vowels, Y-H-W-H, four letters. That's the sacred tetragrammaton, um, the high priest only of everybody gets to say on the Day of Atonement. Um, so Jews either say Adonai, sometimes very conservative Jews, when they see that there, to make sure they never accidentally violate it, they just say Hashem which is Hebrew for the name. That's what they'll say. Um, but the high priest in, in temple days could go into the Holy of Holies one day a year to offer blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. And he got to say the name, um, the name of, of God, um, Yahweh, or yeah, Yahweh. Um, so that's the background of temple Yom Kippur, or Holy of Holies, uh, going into the Holy of Holies, or the... Um, uh, Day of Atonement. But in like Leviticus 16, you'll, you can read in other places um, what God said to do on the Day of Atonement. Uh, of course, so they afflict themselves for the Day of Atonement, the holiest day to Judaism still is. Uh, it's confession, repentance, self-denial, fasting. Um, again, there's no temple standing in Jerusalem anymore. But uh, so nobody, there's no high priest either because there's no temple, and there's no blood animal sacrifices because there's no temple. So there's other things they do. But they do do confession and prayers and fasting even today in the synagogues. So um, that's 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 the holy day, the holiest day of the year for Judaism. Um, now, obviously, the high priest when the temple stood, or even the Jews celebrating Yom Kippur, Kippur now, they have to do that every year, right? Every year, they got to do something to make atonement with God, hopefully atoning with the people they've harmed. Um, that's why when the New Testament over and over says Jesus was the final complete sacrifice, Jesus was the high priest who, uh, read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It's no accident it's called the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Uh, at the death of Christ, um, he, made, he made the sacrifice. He offered the blood for us. It's a once for all time done thing. Um, that's part of being Messiah. That's part of the job description for being Messiah. But anyway, so back to the text. So this whole Yom Kippur thing, you know, there's that verse in Leviticus, the life is in the blood, uh, that, which in the verse in the book of Hebrews and New Testament, which are closely tied there, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Now, just think a minute. If you drop from Mars, that's weird. 
all this blood, you know, that, that's why we Christians, one of the reasons we Christians got persecuted early on is, um, you know, we used to gather on Saturday night, which is the beginning of Sunday in Judaism, gather on Saturday night, sometimes go into the catacombs. People weren't really sure what we were doing in there, but they heard we were eating the blood or eating the body and drinking the blood of somebody. Well, you can imagine the rumor mills, what they did with that one. And you notice, you'll notice in John 16, because one of the things that we have to do that is Jewish, there's only four of them according to the book of Acts, one of them is don't eat blood, which is also why, that's very Jewish, don't eat blood. That's why at the end of chapter 6, when Jesus has been talking about eating my body, eating me, consuming me, um, that's, that's John's Eucharistic communion text, um, that's when the crowd leaves Jesus. They think this man has lost it. They talk about eating a body, drinking blood. Sounds like cannibalism. Or, you know, it's, that's, that's strange. But that guy's persecuted when we were first uh, a movement because that, that can, you got to explain that one to people. You know, um, anyway, so this, but this emphasis on blood, the shedding of blood, sacrifice. The reason we don't have to do animal sacrifice, even if they reconstructed the temple, and they're also Jews who believe this way, even if you rebuilt the temple, you don't have to reinstitute animal sacrifice. I think what will happen in the future at some point, it's going to be hard to work out, but I think what's going to happen is that a third temple will be built in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount um, without an animal sacrifice because Jesus will be ruling at that time, and he'll make sure we're straight on this, that we didn't need sacrifices after Jesus anymore. He was the final complete sacrifice. All of this language is Yom Kippur. The festival of Yom Kippur. So here, back to the text. So here's Yom Kippur, the instruction for Yom Kippur. You afflict yourselves, present a food offering to the Lord, and you shall not do, watch this, you shall not do any work. Now what's the distinction I kept showing you here in Leviticus 23? Sabbath and Yom Kippur, do nothing. The others, remember it says, don't do any ordinary work for the other festivals. Because some of those festivals are seven days long. But on Sabbath and the day of Yom Kippur, you do no work. That's where you have to use the Shabbat elevator and all that stuff. I mean, they try to do no work on weekly Sabbath and Yom Kippur. And that's because it's here in the text. Uh, do no work uh, on that very day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted, hear this, for you ever who is, you, this is what gets them a synagogue, for whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. If you didn't participate in Yom Kippur, you were no longer an Israelite. You were no longer part of the, the people. Verse 30, and whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. God was very serious about this. That, but again, that sounds weird. But this is the closest the Hebrew faith gets to the work of Jesus. You know, if you try to be Christian without the work of Jesus, without the blood sacrifice, without... Um, and there are Christians today who try that. I can give you books on the nonviolent atonement. Because, you know, there's people around in the Christian community today that says that the, the reason the world has been so violent is because of us. We have this violent act at the center of our faith, you know, crucifixion. Um, I view it differently, but I don't think that has to create a world of us hurting each other because we somehow esteem that violence. We put. I mean, think about the Jewish faith. Yeah, Peter would have had a really hard time back then, you know, with animal sacrifices going on. 
but this blood stuff, this sacrificial stuff, it, is really important. So, yeah, and whoever does any work on that very day, that person will destroy, will be destroyed from among his people. You shall not do, again, any work, not just ordinary work, as it says sometimes, you shall not do any work. It is a statute forever, and it's still being observed. Now it's just being observed for us through Jesus. Uh, but the Day of Atonement, it, you know, is being observed, but it's different than how it's being observed. And Jesus is the, just like all these festivals. Jesus, these festivals point, point to Jesus. These festivals proclaim Jesus. Uh, these festivals represent Jesus. This one's easy to do that with. Uh, this sh- sh- putting, putting the blood on the altar one day a year to bring cleansing of sin and to make atonement with God or each other. Uh, verse 32, it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. That's why Yom Kippur is like the Sabbath of all Sabbaths. It's the holiest day for them. It shall be uh, to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves, fasting, we think, on the, de- on the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening. All their days begin at evening. From evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. And here it means this Sabbath day of Yom Kippur. I don't think I need to draw a lot of parallels between that and Jesus and all the language in the New Testament about Jesus being the final, complete, perfect sacrifice that never needs to be repeated. Um, he was the high priest. You know, the book of Hebrews goes on and on and on. All these high priests throughout the centuries were, were very imperfect high priests, which they were. Good people, but very imperfect high priests. And Jesus is your perfect high priest. So that's why it doesn't have to be redone. Um, now, in, in the little chart I gave you, uh, if you, you'll notice, because um, this is coming toward the, the... The first four spring festivals point to the first coming of Jesus. Uh, as I, and I'll remind you, the last three fall festivals point to the second coming. We saw a Feast of Trumpets ever, you know, trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall ride. That's all over the New Testament. But the Feast of Trumpets we looked at last week, uh, Day of Atonement is second coming. Because what, what happens at second coming? Judgment. That's our final Yom Kippur. You either stand with Christ or against Christ on that day. Um, and then Feast of Tabernacles is eternity with Christ. But, um, so that's, that's the Day of Atonement. It's, it's pretty easy for even, for, for even, yeah, it's pretty easy to see the connections between this festival and Jesus. So to wrap up, go to the next and last festival, which if you notice the way we Christians have sort of seen this, and it's mentioned frequently in the New Testament, it may be, other than the Passover being behind so much of, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus, Last Supper. Other than that, this is the festival most that occurs most in the New Testament. Some of you were with me this morning. We talked about John chapter 7. All of 7 and 8, uh, this festival that we're going to look at is the background. And, the, and John tells you that. Jesus has gone to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, Sukkot, or the festival of tents, which is Sukkot in Hebrew, or the festival of tabernacles, um, or the festival of booths, it's all the same thing. It's that festival, um, you're getting ready to read about it, it's that festival for the Jewish community. It's great joy. They build the temporary temporary housing, three-sided, with a roof that's covered over with uh, palm branches or leaves or vegetation. you got to be able to see the stars through the roof. Um, they usually, Orthodox Jews today, they, they take their meals for seven days in that outside temporary structure that you built, that tent. It's really more of a little shed type thing usually. But it's just got to be a temporary structure, three-sided, see the stars through it. Um, that still happens uh, in very Jewish communities. You'll see those go up all over the place um, for, um, 
for um, uh, Festival of Blues. My, my tour guide that I've worked with for over 20 years, uh, I consider him one of my best friends. Um, I, I, well, I'm tell you something funny. He's weird. He's weird. He's really weird. He's quirky. He's eccentric. Um, I still think he's wearing the same clothes he was wearing 20-some years ago when I first used him. Um, anyway, I asked him to send me a photograph of himself. Because I'm going back to Israel to, um, next year, and into February. And I, I invited him to send me. I wish I, if my wife was here, I could throw it up on the screen for you. Um, I asked him to send me a photograph of himself that I could use to introduce him to my people I'm bringing over there next year. You know what he did? He sent me a photograph with his back turned to me walking off. <laughs> and I told Tammy last night, I, said, I, I can't even tell if he's choking. I mean, surely he is. Surely he knows that's not one I want to introduce him. You know David. I'm looking at Bert. You know David. I, he still wears the same, that David Jack, he still wears the same thing. And, and you went there with me in when? 20? Yeah. When was our trip? When were you went? 2005? I think it was 2005. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, he's still in the same clothes. Looks the same. I can show you him from the back if you want. Um, I have no idea why I'm telling you that. Um, but anyway, I know why it is. He always has, he says, Jeff, you should come back. I usually go November or February for lots of different reasons. But he says, you should come during Festival of Booths. You know, everything, it's the most joyful holiday among Judaism. Everybody that can, who's Jewish, tries to go to the Holy Land. You see these these booths, these booths built out of three-sided plywood, usually. Open roof that has a vegetation. You see them all over Jerusalem, usually on people's balconies or roofs. I say, David, all the Jews in the world try to go there during those seven days. And that's why even EO says, Jeff, no, you don't want to go to Israel during Sukkot. Because you and five million other people go to Israel during Sukkot. But it, I'm sure it would be an amazing time. You'd have to look hard. I'm sure probably in uh, Charlotte there would be Sukkot. Probably um, the Triangle would be Sukkot. I know, we I know we have an Orthodox Jewish community now in Charlotte. Anyway, so that's Sukkot. It's, it's very celebratory. They celebrate Sukkot to be reminded that for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness in temporary housing being taken care of by God. You know, for those 40 years, that's why eating a meal is usually what you do in your booth. God gave them quail. God gave them um, uh, uh, quail and manna. God, there's that interesting verse where it says, their shoes never wore out. Did you know that was in there? Um, so God took care of them for those wandering years. Sukkot reminds them of that. Um, over the years, other things have attached themselves to it. Even by the time of Jesus, other stuff got attached to it, which we'll study when we look at John chapter 7. So, here's, here's, here's the Feast of Booths. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, we're still in Tishri. You know, if, if you hire a Jew, they're out of commission for a chunk of late September to earliest October. That's just their holy days. They all come together. So Tishri, the beginning of Tishri, you have, you have uh, Rosh Hashanah, you have uh, Yom Kippur, and then you have the Festival of Booths all come almost back to back. So yeah, that's um, know that if you hire a Jewish person who's Orthodox. Anyway, speak to the people of Israel saying on the 15th day of this, this month, this seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths, or uh, my Bible says, or Tabernacles, is Sukkot, which is just the Hebrew. They, they would say Sukkot. It's Hebrew for these, these tents. Um, 
it's the days of the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a whole, you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall you shall not do any ordinary work. Then God had good reason. I just don't know what it is. Verses thirty-seven to thirty-eight is like a summary to all this talk about the seven festivals. But then, on, in verse thirty-nine, he goes back to the feast of booths. Look at verse thirty-nine. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the in the produce of the land, again, this time of the year is the end of the harvest. Again, you're celebrating God just taking care of you. The harvest coming. This is the end of the harvest year. Uh, so, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord. This one, seven days. Uh, Sukkot is oftentimes is called the feast, which is what John calls it in John's Gospel, the feast. On the first day uh, shall be a solemn rest. On the eighth day shall be solemn rest, and you shall take. You shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid tree. That's the etrog and the citron. Um, I've seen them. I guess they're available in the Middle East. It's not something that we have here. One's a little yellow lemon-looking like type fruit. And, um, yeah, anyway, you shall take the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of book, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Most joy-filled season for them. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout the generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths. That's what they do in the Orthodox Jewish community. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. And I think I probably mentioned, most all Orthodox Jews, they build their booths. They'll take their meals there for Sukkot. Um, if you've got little children, it's a big deal. You get to go and they don't want you to go spend the night. Camp out outside in your little booth. Because uh, the, the text, it says, you shall dwell in the booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in the booths. That's interesting. They're not going to make non-native Israelites living with them do that. Uh, if I'm going, if I'm there, I'm not going to have to build me a, a booth. Um, I can use one of theirs if I wanted to. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwelling booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God, and I took care of you while this was happening. And then the concluding, thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feast of the Lord. Okay, let me show you two other quick texts as I wrap up. Um, you may have you may have to ask a Baptist to help you find this. Go to Zechariah chapter fourteen. I want to just show you one text here and one text in the Book of Revelation uh, to show you the ongoing significance of the festival of booths and why it is important to you. Um, wish we were studying the Book of Zechariah. It's a marvelous book. Um, like I said, if you haven't found it yet, see if there's a Baptist at your table. They can get to it. I, I, I'm so grateful I grew up in a church. I did, they did Bible drills. You know, you had to find the text. You know, so yeah, if, um, if the person at your table is still looking, it's probably a Methodist. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 14. When you go to Zechariah chapter 14, you'll notice if you have a heading to your text, it will say the coming day of the Lord. So this is a Hebrew text talking about the final coming of the Lord to create the final kingdom, the consummation of the kingdom. Um, this is, by the way, Zechariah's where, for those of you that know the Holy Land, is Zechariah that says that when the Messiah comes, we say returns, his feet will be planted on the Mount of Olives. 
that comes from Zechariah, Zechariah. But what I want you to see is uh, Zechariah 14, 16. And this is all talking about the end of history. The Messiah taking control at, his, at the end of history. Notice verse 16. Then everyone who survives all the nations that have come against Jerusalem, that's part of the end time picture. The nations will come against Jerusalem. You know, the day that um, Israel was declared on May the 14th, 1948, on May the 15th, 1948, all five of her neighbors declared war on her. And that has been going on and off ever since 1948. Anyway, then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up that year after, shall go after the kingdoms come, the enemy's been defeated, shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to do what? Celebrate, keep the Feast of Booths. You know, you probably have never been told that part of the Messianic kingdom, the second coming of Christ, the reign of Christ, is going to be booth-like. But you have been told that, actually. Um, Zechariah prophesies today. Go to Revelation 20. We'll close with this. Go to Revelation 20. If you go to Revelation 20, the last book of the Bible, you see, and you've heard this text many, 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 many times. It it's frequently occurs at funerals. It's one of my favorite to use at funerals. Uh, 21, what did I say? 20, 21, end of the Revelation. Um, occurs at lots of funerals, so this you you be you'll be familiar with this text. This is John's vision of the final of the end, the coming of the kingdom, the fulfillment of the reign of Christ. Notice why he says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea." For the Jewish mind, that means the chaos of this world. They feared the sea; they were not seafaring people. They didn't like it, uh, but so the chaos of this world was no more. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Again, the goal of history is going to be heaven coming to earth, not just, just us going to heaven. Uh, so he sees the new heaven coming down. And the new heaven is not going to be a glorified high point. It's going to be a glorified New Jerusalem, which means city of peace, Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from a bride, from, from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, the dwelling place of God is with man. Now, if you've got a translation that really wants to be helpful, you should have a little footnote or something that sends you to, um, beside the word dwelling place, you should have some sort of um, better translation in the English. And if you do, what is it? Tabernacle. Tabernacle. Booths. A Sukkot. Uh, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the Sukkot of God, the dwelling with God, the tent of God, the tabernacle of God is with man. So again, just like in Zechariah, eternity is pictured as an ongoing Sukkot. Again, Sukkot remind, reminded the Jewish people of God's provision. Sukkot, when they built, before they built the temple, when they were still in transition, what did they build that they had before they built the temple? That portable tabernacle to symbolize the presence of God with them. So eternity is pictured, and that's not the only place in the New Testament, that's the one you hear at all funerals, a lot of funerals. Eternity is pictured as the fulfillment of Sukkot. God will tabernacle among us. And we will, yeah, if you, you know, there's a, I think, I, yeah, there's a rabbinic saying, I don't think I've told you yet today, there's a rabbinic saying, um, um, in the Talmud that says, he who has not seen the joy of Sukkot has never seen joy. 
Can you imagine? Can you, you should see the parallel between uh, that kind of stuff about Sukkot and what we think of the final kingdom in the presence of God would be. Good. I owe you four minutes, according to Verizon. Um, make sure you know everybody or somebody in the room. Find somebody you don't know. Um, let me ask this. I don't mean to embarrass people, so I'll make it real broad. If you have been to this Bible study less than ten times, which would be this year, by the way, this this semester, by the way. If you've been to this Bible less than ten times, Bible say less than ten times, I'd love to see your hand. You wait a minute before you do it. You wish some memorial people watch. Um, if you've been if you've been to this Bible study less than ten times, um, let me know. Raise your hand. This year, this year, so spring counts. But uh, this year, if you've been to this Bible study less than ten times this year, well, no, I want this. I want this fall. This fall. If, if you've been, well, we can't do this fall. We only met three times. I tell you, I don't do math. I don't do math. If you've been to this Bible study lesson ten times this year, raise your hand. So where's some more people take note? Um, so now find somebody. Um, you were here sometime in the fall. You probably about ten times. I should say twenty times. <laughs> Because last year's Bible study, I, I still do universe. This this is the this is the first semester. Uh, if you've been to Bible study here less than ten times in the last two semesters and in this semester, raise your hand. So there's a lot of you. So make, find somebody you don't know. Find somebody you don't know. Go in peace. Go in peace. Thank you.